Welcome to Detox Bedtime Stories. I'm your host, Isabella Vaz. Let's get settled in. Tonight, we're continuing to read from Treasure Island, retold from the Robert Louis Stevenson original. Chapter 4 Blind Man's Bluff The sea chest is opened. I told my mother all that I knew, and both of us realized that the captain's terrible shipmates would soon be coming for his chest, and that we would never get the money we were owed. We heard footsteps in the dark and were haunted by visions in the mist. We made up our minds to go to the nearest town to seek help, and were soon running scared. We ran on through the night, and were happy to see the lights of the town burning brightly. But it was all for nothing. When we told the townspeople what had happened, and mentioned the name Captain Flynn, They all hid, afraid to help us. They would seek out the doctor's aid, but they would not help us defend our inn. My mother cursed the men and told them we would risk returning alone. All they would do was give me a loaded pistol and to promise to have horses for us when we returned in case we needed them. We headed back home in the dark, moonless night, through drifting fog. We somehow found our way back to the Admiral Benbow, where we bolted the door behind us, having only the captain's dead body for company. I reached down to his hand and found the crumpled paper he had so feared getting the one with the words on it that read, You have till ten. Suddenly, our clock began chiming, and we heard it was only six, and we cheered. We still had four hours before anything could happen. I felt through his pockets for the key, but found only a pocket knife and compass. My mother suggested that it might be around his neck, so I tore open his shirt, and there, sure enough, hanging on a string, was the key. We hurried to his room and spotted the old, battered chest. My mother quickly turned the key in the lock and had it open. Inside, we carefully cleaned unworn clothing, pistols, silver, and trinkets from faraway lands. Beneath those things were parchment scrolls and a sack of gold. My mother insisted on taking only what was owed to us, and we sat counting out the foreign coins. I grabbed her arm hand holding a finger to my mouth. 
From the street, I heard the tapping of the blind man's cane, and then heard him pulling at the lock of the door. When it wouldn't open, we heard him retreat, tapping into the night. Mother, I said, let's take it all and go. But she would not. And then, suddenly, we heard a whistle from the street, and she quickly changed her mind. I'll take what I have, she exclaimed, and I'll take this bundle of old papers to make it even. With that, we jumped up and sprinted downstairs, opened the door, and ran into the street. As we went on our way, the mist began to disappear, and we saw that we were not a moment too soon. The moon rose high, and we would have been exposed had we stayed still. Again, we heard voices coming our way, and my mother turned to me. Take this money, I'm going to faint. And she did so. I caught her in my arms and dragged her under the low bridge by the Admiral Benbow. We could still hear the voices within earshot of the inn. I crouched as low as I could. Chapter 5 The Last of the Blind Man Curiosity drove out fear. I crept from under the bridge to the end of the road and watched as my enemy's heads rose up out of the mist. They were led by a blind man, and soon seven or eight of them had reached our door. Down with the door, he cried, and soon they were rushing in, surprised to find it open. Their terrible leader urged them on. They were in the Admiral, in a moment, and suddenly I heard a startled cry. Bill is dead. The blind man told them to stop their blubbering and to search his body for the key. They rushed up the stairs, threw open the window, and started yelling. Listen, old Pew. Someone's been here before us. The chest is torn apart, but the money is here. Drat the money, he answered. Where is Flint's fist? Is it on his body? The men searched, but found him bare. Then blind man Pew cried out, It's that boy. I wish I had put his eyes out. They were just here. They had the door bolted just before. They must be close. Fan out and find them. They roared through the inn, knocking things about as they tried to find us. 
Then we heard a whistle from the hill ring out two times. That means it's Dirk, said one man. We'll have to get a move on now. But Pew lashed out at them, calling Dirk a coward, and all of them fools for not searching harder. Find it, and we'll live like kings. You are all too cowardly to face Bill. All except me. And I was blind. And with that, Pew began to strike at them with his cane, causing a great uproar among them. Soon, they were fighting like cats and dogs. Suddenly, the sound was broken by that of hooves and the ring of a pistol shot. The buccaneers turned and ran in every direction. Only Pew was left, tapping and cursing and crying out their names as he passed right by me. When he heard the riders, he spun and ran in a panic, slipping beneath one of their horses. He fell at their feet, now quite still. I soon saw it was a boy from town and several officers. They immediately understood what had happened and took off in pursuit, slowed down by the weather and the need for their horses to go up steep hills. When they arrived at the docks, they saw that a small boat had already been set loose and that the scoundrels had escaped scot-free. My mother had recovered in the inn, but not old blind Pew. The man was more dead than stone. At the inn, we discovered everything in a wreck. After telling them my story, the head officer understood it was the scroll in my jacket they were after. We quickly decided to make our way to Dr. Livesey's house to get it put away for safekeeping. With that, an officer helped me on the back of his horse, and I was off again into the night. Chapter 6 The Captain's Papers We rode hard to Dr. Livesey's, with the head officer, Mr. Dance, leading the way. We got down from our horses, but found the doctor out, and went on to find him at dinner with the squire. We were quickly let in and brought to the great library. Dr. Livesey was chatting with the squire, surrounded by shelves of books. The squire was quick to ask what our business was, but once they knew, I could see their interest and desire to know more. They were cheered that we had returned to the inn, and Mr. Trelawney 
the squire began to pace the floor. Mr. Dance, he said, you are a noble fellow and shouldn't waste time worrying about trampling that blind mischief maker. The boy Hawkins here is as good as gold. It was then decided that we should see what this packet contained. Two of the men had a servant fetch me something hot to eat, which I devoured. Mr. Dance and the doctor talked over various matters, but soon the conversation returned to recent events. The doctor asked if the squire had heard of this man Flint. Heard of him? He is the most bloodthirsty pirate who ever sailed. All pirates feared him, and I once even saw his sails off Trinidad. The richest and meanest pirate of them all was Flint. They all thought that there must be some clue to a great treasure in the packet. If this was so, the squire would provide a ship and use it to search out the treasure, no matter the cost. Dr. Livesey agreed and set it down on the table. We quickly cut open its stitching and found that it contained a book and a sealed paper. They agreed to try the book first and invited me to look closer and share in the discovery. Dr. Livesey and I were puzzled by its strange markings and figures in columns but the squire knew what we held in our hands. This is that black-hearted rascal's account book. And so it was. A ledger of ships boarded, fortune stolen, and money owing in French, Spanish, and English coin. We then turned our attention to the sealed packet when the doctor opened it, a map fell out with notes and directions, along with longitudes and latitudes. And just past a hill marked the spyglass, we saw a note that read, Bulk of treasure here. There were further directions to a place called Skeleton Island. The squire was overjoyed and commanded that a great ship be found and a journey commence at once. I shall be admiral. You, Livesey, will be ship's doctor. And Hawkins, here, our cabin boy, and will bring along my own men, Red Ruth, Joyce, and Hunter. He was thrilled, and his face showed it, but the doctor had one thing to say. The only man I am afraid of is you, Trelawney, for you cannot hold your tongue. There are pirates out there who will kill for this, and who will take any risk to get it. 
we must stay together until our ship is at sea. I will stay with Jim, but none of us must speak a word about any of this. And with that, the squire promised to be silent as the grave. Part 2 The Sea Cook and My First Onshore Adventure Chapter 7 The crew is assembled. It took time to get ready. The doctor and the squire both had work to do. I stayed at the hall under the watch of Redruth, the gamekeeper, waiting in eagerness. I spent my time studying the map and imagined how our journey would be, thick with danger and enemies and intrigue. But, of course, nothing I imagined was as strange and tragic as what occurred when our journey began. One day a letter came, addressed to Dr. Levisey or myself. I opened it with Red Ruth standing next to me and scanned its message. The squire had found a ship called Hispaniola, which he purchased from a man named Blandly. This man, by his own admission, had been in town, talking of the treasure we would soon be sailing for. He had stumbled upon an old sailor, down on his luck, who offered to be the ship's cook and who could help us put together a crew. Long John Silver, he is called, and has lost a leg in his country's service. He has no pension, and I took him on immediately. He is a great man, and we are lucky to have him. Furthermore, Long John Silver had helped him pick a crew for our journey, including a first mate named Arrow. The letter finished with the squire's excitement about our voyage and recommended I should spend one night with my mother before leaving. I found her in good health and was happy to see that the squire had had the inn repaired and repainted. He had also sent her an apprentice, and when I saw that I had been replaced, I wept. I had only been thinking of my adventures, but now I understood I was truly leaving home. The next morning, as we walked away from the inn, I thought of Captain Billy Bones and the way he had walked along the shore. The Admiral Benbow was soon out of sight. We next went by coach to Bristol. I saw that the quay and the docks were a busy 
furious blades with the smell of tar and salt. There were sailors with rings in their ears, and some who wore pigtails, while others walked by like proud peacocks. I thought that now I was going to be one of them, and I was delighted. We then met the squire, who was dressed like a ship's admiral, in all his finery. Oh, sir, I cried, when do we sail? We sail tomorrow, he answered. Chapter 8 At the Sign of the Spyglass after breakfast, the squire sent me to go meet John Silver at the sign of the spyglass. I made my way there and found a neat tavern full of seafaring men who talked loudly, rarely stopping their singing and laughing. I saw a man with his leg cut off at the hip and knew it had to be Long John. He carried a crutch and hopped with great speed, cheerful and laughing among the customers. Now, I had long worried that this might be the one-legged man whom the captain was afraid of, but seeing him, I knew he was very different from that sort of pew the captain, and black dog. So I approached him and handed him the squire's letter. He shook my hand firmly and smiled. So, you are our new cabin boy, he said loudly. Suddenly, a man jumped up from the bar and made for the street. I knew at once by his look and missing fingers who it was. I cried out I had just seen Black Dog. I don't care who he is, he shall pay for his vile deeds, said Long John, and sent one of his men after him. He then quizzed me about the man and said he had never heard the name. Then he grabbed the man who had been talking to Black Dog. He admitted that the blind beggar had also been in the bar and told us his name was Pew. Long John became quite excited about tracking down Black Dog and assured me that his man Ben would find him. Talking of throwing someone overboard was he? It's him I'll throw overboard if I get the chance. As he ranted, Long John walked up and down with his one leg and his crutch, cursing Black Dog and all those like him. Seeing Black Dog had made me suspicious, but John Silver had put on a good show. I was sure 
He was an innocent man, and he was clever at convincing me. He told me how worried he was that I would think badly of him for having such a low-life person in his tavern. He made me believe that if only he'd had his other leg, he would have caught the man himself. We decided to report Mr. Trelawney right away, and so began our journey down to the water. There he laughed, told old sea stories, and explained the different kinds of boats to me. He told me of their cargo, and the way they were made, and repeated phrases until I knew them like an old sailor. I began to think of him as the best of all shipmates. When we arrived, Dr. Livesey was there. Long John told the story to both men in lively fashion, and asked for my agreement regarding what had happened. I simply nodded yes to everything he said. When he finished, he made his way back to the tavern, and we all agreed to be on board by four that afternoon. Well, Trelawney, I don't put much stock in your judgment, said the doctor, but Silver is an ace. Now, Jim, he said to me, let's go see our ship. Let's leave it there for tonight. We'll continue next time. Sweet dreams. <laughs>